genre. It's Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep and boldly goes into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today, we are continuing our miniseries on the Star Trek franchise with the sequel that concluded the Next Generation series of films. It's 2002's Star Trek Nemesis. And we have a guest joining us to talk about weddings, clones, and funerals is podcaster Brian Boucher. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? So, so Brian, what's your um, what's your connection with, uh, with 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 Star Trek? What's your background with Star Trek? Did you grow up watching it or anything? Oh yeah, I, I grew up watching uh, the original series uh, mm-hmm. with my dad. He was he was a big Star Trek fan, and then got older, and I I watched a lot of Next Generation. I watched some of the Deep Space Nine, but not you know not a avid watcher. But I've watched all mm-hmm. the movies. And what are, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on on Nemesis um, <laughs> before we start really getting into it? Um, not a big fan of it. Okay. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> yeah, it just seemed very slow. the The movie itself was just slow going. You know, it, mm. I, I had to watch it. I actually had to rewatch it like two or three times because I kept falling asleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Um. Yeah, I thought it was kind of slow, but and it needed a little more action. Yeah, overall, I mean, the story itself was good. You know, I just think uh-huh. it needed to be tighter. Uh, Nick, uh, you had seen the the film before, and you talked last week about how, contrary to to sort of popular opinion, you actually kind of like Nemesis. Um, so, rewatching it for the show, uh, do you feel the same? Oh yeah, hell yeah! Uh, li- <laughs> uh, l- uh, listeners, if I can paint you a picture. What if I told you there was a Star Trek movie where uh, a hot goth Picard clone <laughs> with kind of like an evil, sexy Hamlet vibe played by a young Tom Hardy stages a coup d'etat of the Romulan government with an army of necro like goblin vampires <laughs> forcing Picard into a con like duel of like his past self with like different life experiences and it's written by john logan mm-hmm. that might that might interest you i don't know <laughs> that might that might that might this is also uh contrary to the the our, our our series on the show this is actually a star trek movie that i uh have kind of like a, a firm memory of of seeing it Oh, yeah. Did you see this in theaters? This is the first Star Trek movie I ever saw in theaters. Wow. Mm. Wow. Uh, (laughs) One winter's night in 2002, I was in line at the movies with my parents, 
and they looked down at me and they said, you can pick anything, (laughs) (laughs) but you have until we get to the register. And I was like about to pick two towers again because that was that I had already seen it, but I was like, oh, I can do that again. I haven't seen it twice yet. And, um, (laughs) and then, you know, at the time as a, as a young nerd, I, I was aware that this was like, could very well be the final Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. At the very least, it was the final next gen film, and mm-hmm. that was like the the crew I had the most affection for at the time, as we mm-hmm. talked about, like being a first contact kid and all that. So right. I decided to like I think I have to I think I want to see this I think I want to see how this all wraps up. So my parents I I, I did the, I'm watching this I'm like what were they what was their experience like like there's no <laughs> way they remember it now but I wonder what, yeah. that, what it was like <laughs> watching um, this movie yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I will I will concede that a fair amount of my affection for this movie is probably uh, nostalgia, but mm-hmm. I remember being really entertained by the the drama and like how they wrapped up certain arcs. Um, but what I didn't know at the time was that I was watching the first performance of like who someone who would go on to be one of my favorite actors, Tom Hardy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I I as as discussed last week, I had never seen this right. um, insurrection killed all of my interest in star trek for a while um it would it would later be reignited with the the abrams uh star trek movie in 09 um but this one you know reviews weren't kind and i was like well i played that game with insurrection four years ago uh and lost and uh so i'm not i'm not gonna play that game again um and I remember, too, when Nemesis was coming out, I was excited because I was like, well, it's an even one. Those are the good ones, mm-hmm. you know, so this is going to be a good one again. Uh, and then the reviews came out and they were like, they've broken the Star Trek curse in the worst imaginable way. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, and so I was like, OK, I guess I'm just not going to go see that one. And I never saw it. And then I just it just never happened. Like I just never got around to watching it. And a big part of that was like 2002. I was in high school. Uh, no, I had, none of my friends were, were Trekkies. No, none of them would have been somebody who would have went and saw this movie with me. Um, and so it just never happened. And, um, I watched it for the very first time today. And I have to say, uh, not bad. I don't know. Like it was, it was okay. Um, I, I don't, I really, I, I, I agree with people in terms of like the, the, the Picard clone of it all, not into that plot line. I think it's a little too silly for Star Trek. Um, it doesn't quite work for me. Uh, and I'll go into reasons why like that happened and, and where it was evolving from and how much better that version of the story would have been. But, um, it's, yeah, I think overall, like, I really like this. And I will say that because this movie was coming out post all of Star Trek, right? So Deep Space Nine was over, had its series finale. Voyager, over, had its series finale. And uh, and so this was, like, the first Star Trek next-gen movie to come out kind of post-Star Trek in the same way that, like, the motion picture and Wrath of Khan were, like, post-Star Trek um, and I kind of feel that a little bit more with this one than with the other ones. The other ones sort of feel like the other three feel like they're part of the world that is operating that peak trek that's operating in the 90s with Voyager and Deep Space Nine. It all feels like like the third arm of that, you know, that monster. But but 
with this movie, this just feels like, okay, Star Trek's over, and now here's a Star Trek movie, which is like a really interesting place to be because, I don't know, it feels freeing in a way um, and that I, I really enjoyed. Like opening this with with the marriage of, of Troy and, and Riker, I thought was just like, that feels like a move that would have been in some of the original Star Trek movies of like, Hey, they can, they can move on. Like everybody is getting older and they're not just the same people they were when they were on the show anymore, you know? Um, and so I really like that. And I will say the past three movies, all directed by TV directors, you know, Jonathan Frakes did an incredible job with first contact um, however, I do believe that that movie would have been good regardless of who directed it because the script was so good. Um, and so you had, you know, the, the, the director of Generations was a Star Trek TV director. Frakes was a Star Trek TV director. This is the first guy who comes in, Simon Baird, who is a film director. He started out as, a, as an editor. Um, he edited uh, a lot of, um, like, uh, uh, movies like... Uh, the Omen, um, Superman the Movie, uh, Die Hard 2, um, you know, he's the guy who, who was, like, kind of behind the Richard Donner cut of Star Trek 2, or of uh, Star Trek 2, Superman 2. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, you know, then he would later become a, a director in the 90s. And so he's, like, very much in that sort of cinematic language, and you can kind of feel that with this one, I think. Um, this feels much more cinematic than the last three, uh, at least that I, I felt it had like a different energy to it, um, that I, I really liked. Um, so yeah, not bad, not bad. I think it's, I think it's my second favorite of the four, uh, the four next gen movies. Um, you know, I mean, nothing's going to be first contact, but nemesis is pretty good. I don't know. didn't bother me so much. <laughs> um, so let's get into the background of this one. Um, so Insurrection comes out, $70 million budget, makes $118 million. Um, not what you want. Not a great return on investment. $70 million for being the most expensive Star Trek movie ever made. Um, Insurrection should have at least doubled that budget of $70 million. Uh, it made one hundred and forty, but it didn't quite reach it. So it was a huge disappointment. And so at this point, right... We have had Rick Berman sort of running the show because, like, after Star Trek VI, Rick Berman being sort of the producer in charge of the Star Trek universe on television, they were like, let's do some movies. And he makes that first one. It does pretty good. And so they're like, you seem to know what you're doing. We're not going to bother you. Keep your budgets low. Make make back our investment. And uh, all's good. We'll leave you alone. Well, Insurrection broke that. And so now Paramount is back uh, sort of hovering over Rick Berman's shoulder, being like, "What are you, what are you planning on doing here, man? Because uh, well, this is uh, this 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 that last one Hopefully wasn't a hit, you. and uh, we need hits. This should be, this should be an easy, you know, just just like uh, easy sell every time. You you keep the budget low. The Trekkies come out and in, in, in droves. They make the box office back, and and you guys keep making them, keep churning them out. So what's going on? Um, on top of that." Insurrection was the end of the cast's uh, three-year contract or three-movie contract with Paramount. And so they had to renegotiate all, your, all their contracts for this one. So there was a time, there was a period where Paramount was like, you know, maybe we're done. Maybe we don't need any more next-gen movies. Um, you know, Rick, why don't you maybe think about, like, 
looking into uh, maybe a Star Trek movie like that's an original cast to the movies and there is it's not based on any show we're not going to pull from Deep Space Nine or Voyager it's going to be a brand new original crew um, made just for movies that seems like something cool and interesting and new let's do that and Rick Berman was like no audiences Trekkies they want next gen if you do that, it, it, it's going to be a bigger flop than Insurrection was. Don't do that. Um, we need to bring back the next gen crew. And they're like, okay, fine. We'll bring back the next gen crew for one more movie. Um, and But it has to be a hit or we're not going to make any more, period. Um, and you have no say over who is writing and directing it. And so he's like, okay, I guess I agree to those terms. And so they immediately bring in Stuart Baird. Um, Stuart Baird had absolutely no connection to Star Trek whatsoever, refused to watch an episode of Star Trek, um, wouldn't watch it, did, and was forced, forced, tricked and forced into watching the three previous films. Um, he didn't, he had no interest in doing it. Uh, but but was finally convinced to like, OK, fine, I'll do it. Like just out of respect, I guess, for everybody who worked on him, whatever. Um, and so he watches them. But like he doesn't really like them. He doesn't care about Star Trek. And and he's like, I'm just going to make a movie like I don't really care about all of this. Uh, you guys wrote the script, whatever. I'm going to I'm going to focus on making the movie. Um, this really pissed off the cast. <laughs> they hated this guy, uh, hated this guy, but had no say in him as a director, um, because Paramount was like, either it's this guy or, um, we're not making it. So if you want to make the movie, you're going to have to deal with this guy. And, uh, he was fresh off of, he had made two films before this. He had directed the film executive decision in, uh, in, in 96 and then us marshals in 98 and then this was his third and final film, um, never to make another one ever again uh, because of how bad poorly this one was received, I think. Um, so, uh, you know, he had a rough time um, in terms of like he didn't he didn't reach out to, to um, Jonathan Frakes about directing. Uh, he didn't ask any advice about like. How should these scenes be like blocked or anything like that? Like you have a lot of experience. Nothing. Just nothing. Worked with him every day. And Jonathan Frakes is an utmost professional um, and was in post on clock stoppers at this point. So it was just sort of like, well, you know, I don't know. Um, later on, he would say that he was actually very uh, offended that they didn't come to him uh, to make Nemesis because he's like, I absolutely would have. And I think the movie would have been better um, under me. Uh, but, uh, alas, uh, they didn't even reach out. Um, and yeah, uh, Baird never really talked to them. They were, they, they talk about, um, while making the movie, they talk about the fact that like he kept calling, uh, uh, Jordy Laverne. Um, we'll put Laverne over here. Uh, things like that. Um, there were points where he was like, uh, Patrick and, you know, <laughs> Patrick and Jonathan and, um, Worf, uh, you guys stand over here. Like, just didn't learn anybody's names. Was like, uh, 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 <laughs> the the actress who plays Deanna Troy at cons have has called him an idiot. Um, just like, at, like, just full flat out, like Michael Jordan, like trying to be polite, and she's like, just say what you really mean. The guy was an idiot. Like stuff like that. Like just, <laughs> <laughs> like really, really hated this guy. Um, on the other side of that, however, um. 
Brent Spiner was uh, on stage in like some play and uh, the other lead in the play, um, this woman was dating this guy, this this screenwriter, this up and coming screenwriter named John Logan. Um, and uh, John Logan at this point had done um, Any Given Sunday and Gladiator and meets Brent Spider at this after party. They're all like they go out like for drinks and, and dinner and stuff. And uh, they really hit it off. And then John Logan is finally like he gets Brent Spider alone. He's like, I need to make. I, I, I have to I have to tell you something. Um and uh I, I, I'm sorry that I've held withheld this information this whole time, but um I'm a massive Trekkie. <laughs> and he <laughs> proceeds to just unload on Brent Spiner all of this Star Trek knowledge that he has and how much he loves Star Trek and loves Next Generation. Talking about specific performances of Brent Spiner's in specific episodes. And Brent Spiner is blown away by this, that the guy who wrote Gladiator, this award-winning movie, is a Trekkie. And he's like... I want to. I want to write a Star Trek movie. Do you think you can get me in the room? And he was like, "Do you think I can? Do you think I can get an award-winning screenwriter in the room to talk about writing a Star Trek movie?" Yeah, I think I can do that. And so they go into Paramount, and they're like, "The guy who wrote Gladiator wants to write a Star Trek movie." And they're like, "Done, done deal, <laughs> absolutely." <laughs> um, so so John Logan's like, "Great, I'm gonna write it with Brent though," and they're like. Brent Spiner? Da- data? And they're like, he's like, yeah. And Brent Spiner's like, I guess I'm writing a movie. Like, he didn't even ask him about writing the movie. He just wanted to, like, have that connection and relationship with someone while he was writing the movie to, like, make sure that, like, because, you know, Brent Spiner, he knows things about the actors that maybe John Logan wouldn't and, like, things that they would be into and not be into, you know, that sort of thing. So John Logan, his, his pitch for this was, like, I want to do a few things. I want there to be a young, sexy villain. Um, I want there to be uh, a moment where the Enterprise rams into another ship. Um, because that would be, like, big and cinematic. Um, and uh, and I want um, uh, Riker and Deanna Troy to get married. Uh, those were, like, the three main things that he came into Paramount. And they're like, those sound really exciting. Absolutely. Let's do it. Um, the villain of this piece which obviously becomes a clone of of Jean-Luc Picard eventually. Uh, initially, the idea was that he was going to be Picard's long-lost son. And it was going to be the story about Picard, this guy who has been dealing, in these movies, dealing with his legacy of, like, his family is is completely annihilated in generations. He's the last Picard, or so he thought. And now he has this opportunity of this son that he never knew that he had that could have the potential to, like, carry on his legacy. But he's like this evil, <laughs> crazy dictator um, and who's been brainwashed by the by 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 these guys. And um, that was the original intention for this. That was the original pitch that John Logan brought. And. Rick Berman was like, nah, we kind of already did that like near the end of the season of, of, of next gen with like the guy who everyone thought was Picard's lost long lost son, but turns out it was a trick and he's not really his long lost son. So I don't think we should do that again. What if he's a clone? (laughs) I mean, it was just like, (laughs) and, and Rick Berman, like it was just the stupidest idea, like just the stupidest concept of like, 
we could do this really meaningful story for Picard, uh, or um, we can just throw that out because an episode sort of dealt in the same realm uh, without the same emotional uh, meaning behind it, but like it was kind of in the ballpark, and so we don't want to copy that, so let's make him a clone. They also toyed with the idea of this being a Picard from the Mirror Universe, um, which also would have been really cool, uh, a really cool option, but uh, uh, Patrick Long head of didn't want to... Yeah, well, Patrick Stewart didn't want to play two versions of Picard in the same movie. He didn't want to play opposite himself. Mm -hmm. He was like, that sounds like a nightmare to me. And so they ended up, that's when they were like, well, what if we went with like a younger, like hotter Picard that was like a clone and and then whatever, we would have to figure that out. Um, And so that's how we ended up with with this character. Uh, Yeah, which is so, so crazy. but uh, uh, yeah, so we so we end up with this movie that the the cast sort of unanimously despises. Um, uh, outside, they like they like the a lot of moments in the script, but all of their character stuff was cut out of the movie. This movie cut fifty minutes out of the movie wow. uh, because the yeah the 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 um the the thought process of Paramount was like okay we're gonna open opposite here here's their here's their. Their brilliant plan. We're going to open opposite the two towers. The Lord of the Rings, the two towers. We're going to open opposite it. And then when people can't get into the two towers because it's sold out, they'll have to settle for us. And then we'll pick up all of that extra money. And and <laughs> guess what Guess what happened with that plan? Didn't work out. <laughs> um, but their thought process was like, we'll have twice as many screenings of the two towers because we are a shorter movie. And and uh, and that'll be great. But what they didn't account for was the fact that like every theater would have just Lord of the Rings, two towers playing every hour on the hour um, at the very least by like filling it into multiple screens. And uh, and and Nemesis was regulated like to one screen, you know, per theater. Um, And it just wrecked the box office. This movie made 67 million on a 60 million dollar budget. Um, a huge flop. It did also didn't help the fact that, like, yes, it was two towers, but it was also, uh, you know, two weeks earlier, um, Harry Potter two had come out, um, and uh, and then also there was one other thing. Uh, oh, a James Bond movie, Die, oh, Die Another right. Day, also yeah. was released. Um, so it was just like. I mean, they they just got hit from all sides um, and just got buried. Uh, it's the first Star Trek movie in history to not open at number one at the box office um, and just absolutely got wrecked. So uh, that is the story of Nemesis. And they uh, were like, well, we made a deal with you, Berman, and uh, we're not reneging on it. So uh, that's it. We're done with uh, we're done with Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, they'll never get another movie. So which is unfortunate because apparently John Logan was already writing what would have been the next movie, which he saw as a crossover between Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and Next Gen. It was going to be a big crossover movie, and the idea was that it was going to be the final Star Trek movie of this era. It was going to be like a big blowout movie where it was going to be, you know, Janeway was going to be in this, and The Defiant was going to be in this, and like just everything you could throw at this, it was going to be in there. Um, one other aspect is that Paramount really wanted Seven of Nine in this movie, uh, to the point where in the original draft, Seven of Nine was the Enterprise's new chief of security. 
Um, and so Worf was only at the wedding and then wasn't in the rest of the movie. And it was seven of nine um, in the rest of the movie, which uh, uh, they called up Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Ryan. And she was like, no, like, I don't want to be typecast as this character. I don't I don't ever want to play this character again if I can help it. Um, no. And they were like, well, what if you were just at the wedding? Because everybody loves seven of nine. And she's like, why would I be at their wedding? I don't even know these people. <laughs> and, and so and so she uh, she ended up not being in the movie. But I think that's why Worf doesn't feel quite right in this one. Um, and I think it's because they just went through and like rewrote all of his scenes to like put Worf back into the movie when originally it was supposed to be seven of nine. Um, that, that scene in the car in the, in the all terrain vehicle that was supposed to be seven of nine Picard and data, um, which is what a, a crew. fascinating yeah. combination of characters. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, so, so that, Nemesis. That Romulan <laughs> ale is, was supposed to like basically knock him out for the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that was that was it. That was yeah. he got one joke in, and that was going to be the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so Nemesis. Um, you know, it came out. People hated it. Uh, I think, especially Trekkies. Um, and I think that, I, I I think that the, for most of them, I think that I I think the the clone of Picard was just a step too far. Like that was just. That was the thing that they like the hurdle they couldn't get over. Um, you know, it, it, it is a very silly concept. And I do think that the movie would be that be- would have been better received had it been about Picard's legacy and about him having a son, um, a long lost son uh, or a daughter or a daughter. Yeah, that would have been cool, too. A daughter would have been really cool if they were so worried about it being similar to this episode of TNG. Like, that's a pretty big, at least face value solution. Something something that they never would have thought of in 2002. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you're totally right. That would have been uh, really dope. Um, yeah. Imagine if you, they had gotten Kate uh, Blanchett or something to play oh, yeah. his yeah. long lost daughter. That would have been really cool. Um, this is also, it's notable, this is the first Star Trek movie post-Xavier. So Picard is now... You know, the star of two franchises at this point, um, straddling, straddling two iconic characters. And uh, it's, an, it's an interesting time. It took four years to get this movie out. 1998 was Insurrection. Yeah, I had a weird moment at one point during this movie watching like, wow, as a kid, I hadn't seen X-Men 2 yet watching this. Yeah. Like time. Yeah, uh, it's weird. You're still like 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 uh, five, five or six months away. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Uh, um. Two things. Uh, I, I, I agree with what Brian said at the beginning of the ep- of, of the episode, where this feels kind of dry, despite the really rich, interesting to me concepts. Like, yeah, at a certain point, it just gets very like rudimentary space battles, kind of paint by numbers, mm-hmm. and that kind of speaks to. I do think a lot of the things I like about this movie are in the script, mm-hmm. more so than the direction, and. Yeah. For this being the final movie, I couldn't help but notice how kind of cold everyone seemed to be. And Mm -hmm. the big kind of emotional goodbyes or moments, they don't really sing. And now knowing what I know about the crew's relationship with the director, that's not really a surprise. Yeah. Well, they were also it was it's also like chopped like crazy. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's so many there's a there's a whole there's a whole scene where Jordy and Worf are going through Data's room um, and like clearing it out and like going through all of his stuff. Um, and, and talking about that and then, uh, spot data's cat 
um, sort of uh, uh, getting, sort of adopting Worf as his new owner, um, which is like kind of a really sweet moment that we just don't get in the movie because just end it. Just get out of here. Get 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 people out of this theater so we can play it again. Um, it's unfortunate. All of the cast talks about how much they want to re-edit the movie. And Simon Stuart Bard has talked about how much he doesn't want that to happen. Because he was like, it would just be an actor's cut. Who cares? Like, it's just, it's their own narcissism is the reason why they want it. The movie's better the way that it is. He's a real dick, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he just has zero respect for Star Trek or or for any of the cast that he was uh, directing. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. And... Uh, something I noticed and kind of thinking about it, like I think the reason I liked this, especially when I was younger and more like action heavy, is it doesn't really feel like a Star Trek movie. If yeah. anything, right. this might be the most Star Warsy Star Trek movie. Kind of, it yeah. definitely it feels like a bridge to uh, the Kelvin movies for sure. Yeah, I, I, I I'm like, oh, we're like halfway to the Kelvin movies at this point. Like that's what this feels like. Especially coming off of Insurrection, which was like basically a TV episode put mm-hmm. into theaters. Right. Um, this one, this one feels like a weird transition piece between that and what we would get in uh, in in two thousand nine. Yeah, so. I, I I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I do like about this movie is visually, it was it was nice. It, it, yeah, it, it, I mean all the lighting and colors and you know the 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 costuming the all the colors from those were were pretty on point they were, they were really nice visually and then yeah i didn't know well we haven't talked about but you know i i talked about top gun on my episode, on my on my podcast well mm-hmm. jeffrey kimball uh was the director of photography on top gun he was also the Director of photography on Nemesis. Oh wow! So we have a little connection there. That's nice. interesting. Yeah. Um. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess there this is does a... kind of have a a mild Tony Scottness about it. Yeah. This, this yeah. movie. And, and there are there are uh, some scenes in there is like kind of reminded me of Top Gun, a little yeah. bit. So. Yeah. Interesting. I think this is the next gen movie with the most like naval slash aerial battles in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. It's also this was something that I noticed uh, the, the difference between a, a TV director and a and a, a film director. Um, this is also the movie I think with the most close ups. Uh, the next gen movies. Um, they they I they you know you we start with that close up of of. Um, Picard at the wedding mm-hmm. and I was like wow a close up I, I felt like I haven't seen like a real close up in one of these next gen movies and it was it was jarring but um, in a good way I really I really like that about it uh, Scott did you hear about any were there any other actors in contention for the role of of Shinzon um, they talked to Jude Law um, wow. Ju- Jude Law was a possibility uh, but it wasn't really working out and he had, he had very little interest. Um, and then it was, it was basically like the, one of the casting directors like reached out to an agent was like, do you have anybody who could do something like this? And they're just like, um, I, you know, 
we have this one guy. He's never done anything, but like maybe I'll I'll put him on tape for you. And so they he went and like filmed like a like a self tape for this, and they sent it in. Um, and uh, he did instead of doing <laughs> instead of doing anything from the sides they sent him, he did like a Shakespeare monologue. Um, with and he wasn't wearing a shirt. Uh, uh, and that's that was his that was his that was his self tape, and uh, they they flew flew him into Los Angeles post haste, <laughs> uh, and he did a screen test with uh, Patrick Stewart, which he talks about um, flubbing completely, uh, but he had practiced the scene um, in his hotel room the night before, and he filmed it, and so he gave that tape to Stuart Baird. Stuart Baird watched the tape, and he was like, "Oh yeah, this works." Like you're, this works as long as you're not working opposite, you know, the star of the movie. Um, this works great. So, yeah, let's definitely hire you. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, not, nothing against, <laughs> again, nothing, nothing against, uh, nothing against him. But like, you know, Stuart Baird's just his choices uh, are are at odds with like I think what was best for the movie and for the cast. Um, but you know. Yeah, Frakes directing again is an interesting concept. Because, yeah, I mean, the other thought process, I think, with Paramount was, like, they wanted another dark movie because they saw First Contact as dark, and that's why it was uh, that's why it was such a hit. And they're like, oh, people want, like, a dark Star Trek movie. And I'm like, did you watch First Contact? Like, I know it's got the Borg in it, but it's, like, pretty, it's a pretty hopeful movie. Like, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's all about what, like, humanity can accomplish and, you know. Mm looking toward the stars yada yada i don't know <laughs> pretty hopeful movie <laughs> they just meant they needed more like greens and purples and, yeah like yeah dark looking typical typical hollywood learning the wrong lesson from something um mm, for sure. and assuming that their audiences are idiots um <laughs> right no the the idea of like we'll make the movie shorter to fit more screens that's just that's like pre that's like back in the fifties. That's like William Castle style, yeah, logic. Right, right, absolutely. Especially like making that argument a year after Fellowship of the Rings comes out, and like <laughs> make breaks a bunch of box office records. It's like, guys, that movie was almost three hours long. I like, and nobody had an issue with that, so it made lots of money. I don't know. Um, anyway, so uh, uh, the film begins. Uh, with a cold open, I kind of I, I appreciated going through these movies in a row. It was nice to see the Romulans return in a major way. Yeah, like going back to the OG movies, we've seen the, the Vulcans, a lot of the Klingons, but it's been a while. Like just opening on Romulus with the Romulan Senate, I was like, oh, this is cool. I don't, I, I haven't seen this before. Yeah, the fact that we get two Romulan centric movies in a row is kind of interesting too. Like going from this to like oh nine Star Trek, which is also Romulans, right? Yeah. So the uh, the Romulans, uh, a sect of the Romulans, have proposed uh, joining with a leader called Shinzon, who has led the sister cousin race of the Romulans, the Raymonds. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I kept, I, yeah, I kept thinking I was saying like Raymonds. Like a bunch of Raymonds, uh-huh. Ray Romanos. Yeah. Uh, Everybody loves Raymonds. Uh, <laughs> Everybody loves Raymonds. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Robin Lidson is like, no, that guy's crazy. This plan is crazy. We're not, you know, 
let's let's vote on some tariffs. Let's get some real business done. And one of the Romulan generals like makes a really convenient exit right before leaving like a dirty bomb, essentially. And all of the Romulan Senate gets taken out, which is like, yeah. you know, in a movie independent of itself, you're like, yeah, this happens like in every action movie. But in terms of like Trekkie lore, Trekkie Trek canon, this is a pretty big swing. Yeah, it definitely feels like something that would come from the director of of, of stuff like Executive Decision and and U.S. Marshals. That's that's, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the bad guy senator, like, oh, hey, 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 excuse me, I have to go take care of something. I'm just gonna leave this gift here. Like, All right. That's like, <laughs> yeah. Very '90s action movie. So we cut to Riker's wedding, Riker and Deanna's wedding. So, so I, I, I kind of made a point not to spoil this for you, Scott, because it's kind of uh, something I hinted at in our Insurrection episode last week was this kind of being a trilogy of Deanna and Riker's like courtship, starting from like flirting and first contact. Uh, Scott, what did you think of this scene? Uh, I think it's uh, maybe the best scene in the movie. Um you know, uh, that's not to say that I I I, di- I like really dislike scenes later in the movie, but um, I just this felt so warm and cuddly, and you know, I don't know, it just felt really nice to like see all of them sort of like moving on and 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 having their life. Um, you know, uh, uh, John Logan uh, talks a lot about how um, he wanted this to be this movie's version of Kirk putting on glasses in wrath of Khan um, in terms of just like, yeah, he's getting older and he's changing and you know, he's not the same Kirk that he was in the show and we're not going to pretend that he is. And that's what he wanted this to be for the next gen crew of like, they're not the same characters anymore. And you know, some of them are going to move on. Riker is obviously going to become a captain somewhere and they're going to get married and, and, and leave the ship. And uh, and so I just really like it from that perspective. He he really wanted this to be a story about family and about how life moves on. And he's like, that's why it starts with a wedding and ends with a funeral. But I agree with you, Scott. I think it really points out like, hey, it, it reminded me how little character work we've really gotten with the Next Generation crew. Um, I vividly remember a lot of this wedding stuff, even after, you know, I, I haven't revisited this movie. I, I saw it back in 2016 during my big rewatch, but I remember Picard's speech. I remember Guinan's crazy wordless cameo. Uh, yeah. Wesley Crusher. She has like, she has like one line, right? Guinan? Like she has that I don't a little she aside. She has that little aside with Jordy. Oh, that's right. Um, yes. they're, yeah. they're like at a table together and, and yeah. Yeah. Um, I forget what they're talking about, but she has like one one line, I think, which oh. is more than more than what Wesley gets, <laughs> yeah. which the funny story about Wesley is that a lot of people watch this movie, didn't see this in theaters, watch this at home on video or on DVD in full screen and had no idea that Wesley was in the movie because the full screen version cuts him out. You can only see him in the widescreen version of the movie. Um, And, and so like, there's like a whole bunch of people who had no idea, like Wesley's not in that movie. What are you talking about? Matter of fact, I don't remember seeing him. So maybe the version I watched was, Hey, wasn't in the full screen. Yeah. Yeah. He's in the corner. He's he's at the table. He made it to the table, at least. Yeah, he's just mm-hmm. all the way at the left. <laughs> was this before the fan reclamation of of Wesley Crusher as a character? Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't he think that sucked. had happened yet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> people still hated him for some reason. Um, which, if you watch the show, he's not—he's really not that bad. I don't know why everyone is. I don't know. I always so liked much. him. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh well. Is he kind of like the original Skylar White? Maybe I don't know. I'm not scrappy. Sure. Scrappy do or or it's just they didn't like the idea of a kid being there at all. Like I don't know, but that's uh, it's always a controversial. I don't. I don't want to get into like the Blue Power Ranger because there was like no the kid who's a Blue Power Ranger, like, <laughs> right? Bro, the, the the Shazam Power Ranger. Yeah. Yes. True. <laughs> yeah. Also, a uh, really big fan of the moment where Data sings a bit of Irving Berlin to yeah. uh, Riker yeah. as a wedding gift. Yeah, that was cool. Mm-hmm. That is uh, that 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 song was a single off of uh, Brent Spiner's album, <laughs> um, where he he sings the standards, and I think it's called uh, it's called something like "Behind Yellow Eyes" or 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 like you know another one for old yellow eyes or something <laughs> like that, like a like a riff on on uh, Frank Sinatra's like old blue eyes, but it's old yellow eyes because he's Data. Get it? Yeah. Funny. <laughs> real dorky real dorky stuff yeah. <laughs> sorry i'm having a, an expected visceral reaction to the phrase all yellow eyes <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, i do like yeah. the continuing the tradition though of of trek alumni having like a singing career yeah mm-hmm. absolutely um and it, that is now being uh continued by uh the the illustrious uh, Seth MacFarlane um, <laughs> on the Orville. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. There's there's got to be this guy. Seth MacFarlane has definitely covered Blue Skies. Oh yeah, oh, probably. Oh, sure. I, I I'm sure he's got like seven albums of standards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> crazy. What a crazy hobby. But. <laughs> <laughs> hobby. I bet he would love you to hear you call it that. <laughs> there goes any chance of us writing on the Orville, Nick. Thanks. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, he's about to hire us, and he's like, oh, screw that. Listening to this. <laughs> hobby. <laughs> I'll show you a hobby. Writing's going hobby. to be a hobby for you two. Gosh, I'm just trying to remember if there's any wedding moments before we move on. Um, because it really isn't a lot of ways like the highlight of the movie for me. It's sort of like it feels like almost a companion to the the sh- the, the the scene on the on the boat on the ship in the in generations, you know, oh, and yeah. like, oh, look, it's like the crew and they're all like hanging out doing stuff. Only like this makes a lot more sense than what they were doing in generations. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Back aboard the Enterprise E there, mm-hmm. uh, they detect a paro. Para, pa, 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 parasonic? Paratronic? Yeah. What's the word? S- something like that. Positronic? Positronic. That's Thank it. you, Brian. Positronic. Yeah. Which uh, emits only from data. Right. Or, or AI. Yeah. Yeah. Androids. Yeah. 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 Androids. Yeah. Because yeah. that was never really widely adopted, right? Data remains kind of an anomaly. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't suddenly see like other androids popping up throughout Starfleet. No, right. Not yet, anyway. Maybe, maybe, maybe one day when we get like further ahead in the Star Trek timeline, there will be more. Mm-hmm. So they uh, travel to the planet surface, taking the Argon, a like off-road vehicle that Picard's very excited to operate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this was the most 2000s looking sequence of the movie for me. Yeah. This, this was this was also the sequence that Stuart Baird. Uh, this was his idea. Um, he he added this sequence to the movie because he was like, this movie needs another action sequence because Star Trek sucks and it's boring. <laughs> um, and uh, and so he was like, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if they had like an all terrain vehicle here and then they got chased by the aliens? Great. What would that amount to in the movie as a whole? Oh, it wouldn't. It would never come up again. <laughs> and they're like, OK, <laughs> great. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. The uh, the off. Yeah. The off roading. It's just very like action movie Mm -hmm. we get wharf operating like a gun turret yeah it Mm -hmm. just looks like it was made to be a a, an action figure set yeah yeah i just thought it was very convenient because there was six positronic emissions and they were searching for each one and how nice that they waited till they got all six pieces before the alien people came after them yeah i also just think like why did he need to be in pieces like that like you know, yeah. if you're talking about like trying to trim down a movie, like why wouldn't you just get to the point? Like, yeah. you know, just have him be fully for- formed, but like off maybe somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then they take him and then the guys start chasing them. And then like you've successfully cut like seven minutes from the movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just a just a thought. <laughs> yeah. You learn spoilers that this is all, uh, you know, because they, they find the parts of B4 scattered throughout the desert mm-hmm. and you learn later that this was uh, bait. Shinzon left before his bait. So yeah, the idea of yeah. like literally bread breadcrumbing him yeah. in pieces. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's pretty weird in mm-hmm. retrospect. In in hindsight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not unlike uh, another John Logan script, Skyfall, where if you think about the villain's plan too long, the whole the whole thing kind of falls apart. That's true. So. B4 is an interesting character. He's, he's, we get, uh, it, it, I don't know. He kind of has like middle, like new child in a sitcom energy sure. where like, oh, yeah. the, the, you know, the old youngest kid got to, you know, starting to grow up. We need a new baby. We need someone else that doesn't <laughs> know how stuff works or why Picard is bald. Even more so than, than Data ever was or that we ever saw anyway. Yeah, they make a point of uh, later of being like, yeah, like this is he is he is lacking data's like neural sophistication, right, right capacity for input. There's times where B four seems almost like a cool like mirror of Shinzon and Picard, but I don't think the movie ever does enough with like those parallels. No, they have that one conversation later that sort of like lays it out, and I think that conversation is only there because it wasn't as obvious as it probably could have been in like a more subtle way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they had to like really lay it out. And, and even then it feels a little, a little forced. Doesn't, doesn't quite work for me. The uh, Argon makes its escape. We get like a really, really action heavy moment where it like drives off the cliff and lands like into the escape pod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was cool. I <laughs> like the locking mechanism. Yeah. That's what that, I was like. That kicks too. off. Yeah, that's really cool. And we learn more about B4, most likely a uh, a creation of Dr. Sung, but it's never like 100% confirmed in retrospect. Like, of course, who else would have made this? Who right. else would have created yeah. him? But like, it's interesting because he never says like, oh, yeah, I have, I have memories of, of, of like getting created and all that. Right. Where does... um. 
uh, where where does uh, uh, Shinzen get him from? Like, how does he how does he find him to use him as bait? Do we ever get that explained? If we do, I missed it. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> just just found him floating through space. Yeah, yeah I, this extremely rare um, android that you know this guy notably only created like a handful of. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> So we get a data like first his first conversation with B4 and even the scene ends with him saying like oh I'm your I'm your brother data. Uh Scott does this like does the B4 data relationship work for you at all in this? Um it only does in terms of like the lore of it all because lore being sort of data's evil uh not twin but like another another brother, another android brother. Um, and you know, he has an emotion chip and he's a real, he's a real asshole. Um, and, and data has always like tried to have a relationship with him cause he wants to have a brother. Um, but lore was just always manipulating him and, you know, uh, uh, trying to, you know, turn him against the, the Federation. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, that desperation to have a brother, you know, meeting a younger brother or, or I guess technically an older brother, but like acts like a younger brother makes a lot of sense. The data would sort of like cling to that and like form this attachment to him in this way, um, because, yeah, he always wanted to have that relationship with lore. And so now this is an opportunity for data to be like the big brother that he wanted lore to be to him, you know, Um and and that's not and and so yeah I don't know I I think it 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 works I don't know like taking it in a vacuum without all of that baggage that I have from the TV show I don't know if this really works but with the TV show in mind yeah I think it does nice Data and Jordy uh, go uh, experiment with uh, B4's like memories they do like a memory transfer. Before uh, Data's expecting it to just be like a one to one, like oh yeah, after this he'll just be exactly like me, and mm-hmm. they find that it doesn't work. He is either like unable to like fit all of that information in his systems, or is incapable of just progressing. But yeah, he he remains kind of yeah, like Brian said, this kind of more doofusy, simple, not even more naive version of, of of Data. Yeah. But this is sort of like what you were talking about earlier, Nick, that that sort of connection that they're going to try to make between B4 and and Shinzon is like this idea of, well, I'm going to give all my memories. uh, I'm going to give all all, all my all my stuff to him and then he'll be able to go and do his own thing. And he's like, yeah, but he's not. Won't he just be you if he has all your memories? No, he'll be B4, but he'll have this stuff. He won't be me. He'll be able to make his own choices and his own decisions. And so, like, there's, like, there's definitely something there where they're, like, they're trying to make this work, like, thematically. But I I, I do think that it would have worked maybe better if rather than, like, you know, find, I know he needed to be, like, a trap or whatever. But um, if you had had, like, Picard's long-lost son and then you had Data making a son, you know, making his own android. Um, son, I think that connection would have been a little stronger than finding a random like quote unquote brother <laughs> on this planet um, and uh, Picard having a clone, a younger, sexier clone. I don't know. I just I think that the, the connection is uh, tenuous at best. 
it's interesting, Scott, the idea of, I, I agree with you, it feels like really nebulous of like, this is your brother before, or this is your clone Shinzon. You're kind of like copy. Whereas like, you you know, the, the movie seems to be about change or right. becoming comfortable with change and a new era starting. So the idea of data entering this new stage of being a person, which is could, can often be parenthood. Right. That that mm-hmm. feels a lot cleaner than having like another brother, like another kind of <laughs> sibling adjacent character come into his life. Yeah, absolutely. The ship is hailed by uh, a gnarly looking ship later revealed to be called the Scimitar. Mm-hmm. And we're introduced to the Viceroy played by Ron Perlman. I had no idea this was Ron Perlman the whole time I was watching it. And then I started watching behind the scenes things and I was like, holy shit, that's Ron Perlman. I had no idea. I didn't know. Uh, yeah. Flaw- flawless performance by him because like I can usually tell I can spot Ron Perlman a mile away oh, yeah. under the makeup. Didn't couldn't do it this time. So like, wow, killer, killer performance by Ron Perlman in this. Yeah, like even as a chameleon, like a character actor known for wearing makeup, even within that, you don't you don't think of the Viceroy, and he doesn't he doesn't have that. He's much more like Nosferatu like than completely strips away that kind of working man charm that Ron Perlman usually has. Right, and then uh, we get the uh, Shinzon and Shinzon's introductory scene. It's super creepy. The lights are down because the Raymonds because of their orbit around Romulus, they have not been exposed to the sun. So they live in darkness. It's just cosmically like dicked over by Romulus and just always yeah. blocking yeah. its access <laughs> to the sun. Yeah. I remember being really compelled by this introductory scene of Shinzon before I knew who Tom Hardy was, just like mm-hmm. his off kilter presence that, you know, it go, it's part of his brand now. But at the time, I was like, oh, this dude isn't just like a, a hire or like some guy out of drama school, which he was. But yeah, it it's an interesting scene that I think only works now because he's Tom Hardy, um, because like the reveal is like, whoa, it's Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy's in this movie. Crazy. The But the reveal, the intention of the reveal is that like, whoa, this guy is Picard, but young. Uh, and yeah. I don't think that works at all. Like it, I, I we were watching this, and and Bethany uh, was like, "What is what? I don't understand. Why is this? Is was to, was Tom Hardy? Like, what had he done before this? Why is this such a big deal that it's Tom Hardy?" I was like, "It's not a big deal that it's Tom Hardy. This is his first movie. Uh, it's that he's a Picard clone." And she's like, "What? <laughs> like, it's just it's it's confusing. It's kind of baffling uh, of a reveal, honestly." I remember working for me in 2002, of course, before I knew who it was, just kind of as like the bald head, the sharp face. Uh-huh. Uh, Brian, what do you remember it like the first time you saw the movie, if it worked for you? Or if- yeah, I was like, I get it. He, he does kind of look like him, you know, and then there <laughs> there are scenes where they're kind of almost like face to face and we're seeing both their profiles. So, yeah, their noses are kind of the same, kind of the same head yeah. shape. So, I mean, it, it did work. And and I like, you know, that he like you said Nick, in the beginning, you know, your little introduction to him, you know, that he's just a goth out looking vampire guy type. And he kind of looks like Picard. So, you know, and and he was creepy. So, yeah, he made a good villain. Yeah, I, I definitely think we were not at this place technologically compared to like, you know, we're, we're Gemini man where you could de-age an actor. But 
I think it's one of the rare instances where it kind of calls for that, where mm-hmm. when the lights go up, you literally need to see that it's Patrick Stewart. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, you're like, Am I, is that his son? Is that a, a Picard? It, it, it suffers mm-hmm. from the same thing that Looper suffers from, which is just like using prosthetics to make one actor look like the younger version of another actor, and it just doesn't work. Like, I feel like it would have been almost better if it was just Tom Hardy and they didn't put like this like uh, like prosthetics on him. I almost feel like it would have been closer. There's like behind the scenes like, you know, talking heads of of Tom Hardy on the on the Blu-ray and he looks more I to me he looks more like a young John Luke Picard in those talking heads than he does in the movie. <laughs> Interesting. But then yeah. I guess you you bring up Looper because I guess the reason to kind of counter what I just said about the aging uh, mm-hmm. John Luke, what what I the reason I like Looper, and the scenes that we get of Picard and Shinzon is, in my opinion, seeing two actors bounce off each other is inherently more interesting than seeing the same actor bounce off of himself. Well, I mean that's mm-hmm. why Patrick Stewart wanted that because that was originally the one of the options was going to be an evil Patrick Stewart, and and Patrick Stewart nicks the idea because he's right, like I don't right. want to play opposite myself. That's yeah. boring. Yeah. Um, yeah. Find me the scariest young man you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I don't know. It, 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 it's interesting and I guess it works enough, but um, I don't know. I, it just doesn't, doesn't yeah. quite, it never, it never quite clicks for me. I don't think. And if yeah. the best you can say is that it works enough when you have such a rich premise and, uh-huh. And now with the retrospective, like knowing like, oh yeah, it's Tom Hardy. Like this, like this would be an event now if they found a way to do like a young Picard story, but it never really yeah. reaches the heights that you would expect it to or want it to. No. He would have been a better better choice for like the son storyline. Like if he was playing Jean Luc's like lost son, oh yeah, a hundred percent. That would have been amazing. In uh the solo movie, the Han Solo, you know, they had used a different character who or a different guy that was not Harrison Ford. But if you get past that point and think, oh, this is this character, then it works. That was the hardest part for me watching this movie was that the whole time I knew it was Tom Hardy. Because like the the, the thing that um, Aaron Wright had that that, uh, Tom Hardy doesn't is that – Aaron Reich didn't have to play opposite Harrison Ford, <laughs> right? That's you know, true. so like, so you could you could get lost in that in that movie and just accept him as Han Solo because there was nothing to compare him to while you're watching it. Right. Um, whereas here, he's literally sharing scenes with with Picard, and and yeah, I don't I don't know that it ever quite clicks for me, for sure. Uh, over the course of watching you know a handful of Next Gen episodes and the Next Gen movies, I've become pretty fascinated by the character of Jean Luc Picard. In particular, his youth and like, what was this guy like as a as a kid, as like a young I love, academy? I love that photo. No, that's yeah, like that's my great. favorite part of, of of Tom Hardy playing that picture of that character is like that photo of him in Starfleet Academy. Yeah, it's the best. I love it too. And like, what I actually think I started really clicking with the movie when I did what Brian said of letting go of the Tom Hardy and started picturing that person that we see in the picture being like. Jean-Luc Picard and like we're watching like a young Picard right right um and something I learned in my research of like oh is there like a young Picard book series or or whatever and I found out that during his academy days in his own way Jean-Luc was a bit of a womanizer kind of had a hey can I walk you home energy in his early days 
And so the scene where we go back to the Romulan Senate and Shinzon is like telling off the surviving, you know, the, the kind of the, the Romulan senators that were accomplices in the coup. He meets this uh, woman. She like starts to hit on him. She's like, hey, you know, you're pretty cool. And I'm a woman. Yeah. She's like, you, you are not a woman. You're a Romulan. And then knowing that I just heard that, like, apparently Picard, like, laid the pipe back when he was a young man. I was like, oh, this kind of <laughs> tracks in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I, um, I think that what would have made the reveal work better is if they had almost if like imagine if they had opened this movie with like uh, like a flashback to the Starfleet days and had Tom Hardy playing yes young Patrick Stewart yes. then when the reveal comes later you're like oh that's young Patrick that that's young Jean-Luc Picard I I think the reason that it doesn't work is because they they needed to front load it a little bit better um they didn't front load it at all instead yeah. yeah. No, we needed a we needed a, a a Last Crusade style like yeah, Picard like graduating or like really being like the hot young like star of Starfleet Academy. Yeah. 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 I mm-hmm. think that would have been that would have yes. been really great. Picard invites Shins on or no. Yeah. Well, they they have they have they have tea. I forgot what quarters they're in. I forgot if they're on the Enterprise or on Shins on ship, but they break bread. Mhm. And we learn of Shins on's origins and it's actually kind of like I could see you know, I I almost thought like is this like an aborted Star Trek episode idea of the Romulans decided, hey, what if we cloned Picard and killed the real one and planted this clone as a a plant, as a spy, and all of a sudden this like one of the greatest captains in Starfleet is a clone working for the Romulans. And then there was a regime change and the new government was like, That is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> 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 take it off the board take all the notes <laughs> off the board we're not doing that uh, that's the best I yeah. love that and it's uh, remarkably similar to Bane's origins or yes it, it's actually kind of like he is the he is he's the Talia yeah mm-hmm. right rescue cause he, so he's sent to this prison planet where where the other uh, Raymonds are like treated as just like cogs in the Romulan machine. And then the Viceroy, Ron Perlman's character, saves him as a boy. And he was like, I am doing this for the Raymonds. The Raymonds are the reason I'm still alive. I am Raymond for all intents and purposes. So like I am serving the the Raymond people. It's it, that that uh, that flashback, which is sort of like a little choppily done, um, like through uh tom hardy's like kind of recollection of it um in this scene uh was originally the cold open of the movie um as like an extended sequence Mm. and uh and in the edit uh baird was like you know how we can cut some more time (laughs) this is this is repetitive information because he tells him later so we'll just we'll just cut all of this and like turn it into like quick shot flashback stuff um, while he's talking in the later scene, and we'll just start with the Senate scene instead. Um, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of. I'm not someone who notices the editing in movie. I guess it's like anything where you only notice something when it's not working, right? Yeah. But there were a few times where even I was like, "This is weird. Why did they do it this way?" And we'll we'll, yeah. we'll get to it. The there's a moment. There's a really cool moment where that that scene with Shinzon and Picard. Oh yeah, they're in the Romulan Senate because Picard ends that scene with him standing on the floor of the Senate being like, this matters that I'm here. Like, I want right. more than anything for this to be able to work out, but I have to learn how to trust you. 
And Shinzon's like, well, we just have to hope that I don't do anything in like uh, an hour or so to completely obliterate that trust. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there was a moment uh, when we met Shinzon where he like awkwardly, like creepily hits on Deanna Troy because he's like, I've never seen a human woman. Can I smell your hair? And uh, Riker's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> that's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So later, uh, the pair are having, uh, look, I didn't, I didn't mention this last week in Insurrection, but I am any, any scene with Riker, Deanna, PNA, or PPDA, I was just not about. Oh, okay. Hmm. I was just. I don't know. Is it, what what about them? What, like, is it just is it like watching watching your parents? Like, you know, is that is it that vibe or or like what's what's the issue? Not my parents because I don't think I know them well enough. But okay, lower sure. pa- parents. Okay, yeah. It was just like like, someone... like a friend's parents. Yes. Like, yeah. Where they're rolling around in the bed and Riker's shirt is off. It was just like someone had I, that that Burt Reynolds magazine <laughs> spread like up close to my face. I I'm curious. Is this the first like Star Trek love scene? Um, you know, because I I can't remember another one that wasn't like cut off before it happened. Like obviously there was there was lots of references to people having sex um before this, but like I think this was like the first like. We're in it. We're like in the middle of it. Um, I don't think I've ever. I don't. I don't remember that ever happening in Star Trek before this. Yeah, I mean, both of you have seen more of the show than I have. Shows. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't remember ever seeing anything close to that. Yeah. yeah. It's very odd. It's very yeah. off-putting. And yeah. uh, it, it, it's an upsetting scene because they're, uh, you know, they're, 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 uh, they can't even fucking say it. They're, <laughs> <laughs> they're interrupted by uh, the the viceroy is like mentally invading uh, Troy's mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's you know it's treated very seriously. Like Deanna calls it like a violation. But yeah. something uh, listening to you, Scott, earlier, I think this gives this script ha- gives the other crew members so much more to do. Yes. Like, this is the first movie to even bother mentioning that Deanna Troy has some form of telekinesis. Yeah. They even they even make a, not telekinesis. Telekinesis. Uh, 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 no, no, not telekinesis. Telekinesis <laughs> is moving things with your mind. Yeah. Um, te- 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 telepathy. Telepathy, yes. Um, but uh, uh, I, I, they even, like, make jokes about it. Like, at the wedding in the speech where she's like, he's like, I'm going to get a new counselor and she's going to talk to me in a soft voice and, and, and tell me about, like, all of the dark things that have happened in my life. And, and, and then she just, like, leans forward and is like, how does that make you feel? And I was like, <laughs> wow, nice. <laughs> They're just making jokes. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it's yeah. It's like it's like ah, oh, they're finally giving her something to do, but it is like some pretty heavy stuff. But yeah, you know, yeah. It's um, and it kind of it, it's like a clear line in the sand moment of like, oh, Shinzon's a villain, and it, I I kind of regret that the movie didn't milk that tension for a little while longer. Uh, I guess it is very Star Wars of like you know, can Kylo Ren be turned? Like right. can. Right. Is, is Shin's on a good guy or bad guy? But this is like, no, there's no but, coming back from this. But yeah. I don't I don't care whether Jean-Luc <laughs> sure. Picard's clone is a good guy <laughs> or a bad guy. Whereas if it was Picard's son, I would care more. Like there would be an actual loss there if he doesn't pull him back, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Those Raymond bastards, they've stolen my boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Isn't this about the same time that uh, B4 is manipulating the the computer system? Yes. Yeah, we learn about him being like a plant. Because it's kind of the same thing. So. Right. It, it, it's also annoying that, like, you know, they made them change the Picard son storyline because they're like it's it's kind of been done before when it's like but you're gonna you're fine with like the 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 new data brother being like bad like secretly being a bad guy like you're fine with, with repeating that storyline like verbatim mm-hmm. but the the son thing not so much wow yeah that's weird yeah yeah it's very weird yeah <laughs> oh and then another, speaking of famous things that have famously happened in episodes of the next gen show uh, Picard gets captured by the evil aliens. Yeah. Yeah. He even like references the Borg when he does it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He was like, what, what is it that your like Borg friends say? Resistance is futile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Friends that. is a strong word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, also something you pointed out uh, last week in Insurrection, Scott, teleportation being used as a, a scary foreboding thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Picard is captured, and I think this might be my favorite scene of the movie. The one where it really feels like the acting and the writing and even the directing are kind of simpatico for a brief moment, where Shinsong kind of like lays it all out, his evil Shakespearean monologue of uh, my favorite line in the movie, the echo shall like, oh, fuck, I wrote down victory of the echo over the voice. Mm hmm. The idea that this is actually much more personal. He feels a deep resentment of Picard. My life won't have meaning until you're dead. So I have to kill you. It's basic, but I found it engaging. Yeah, sure, sure. I kind of just wish they had just really just delved more into all of it, really. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I feel like the, the problem is that it's a... It's a interesting concept that they retrofitted from a different story with his son, you know, whereas like if they had if they had thought of this from the ground up as a clone of Picard, I feel like we would have a very different story, you know, um, that would have like been able to delve deeper into those concepts that you're talking about um, that are really interesting. But because it's being retrofitted into a story where this was supposed to be Picard's long lost son. Um, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't quite, it feels like it needed more development time, more, more time to cook or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like I kind of thought it was stronger. The lie was more compelling of this has very little to do with you being a Picard. Like I have my own life. I'm a, I had this crazy upbringing and now I want to like overtake the romp. If it just, cause it's like, who is Picard to him? Did he grow up hearing of the legends of, he was bred to kill him, but it's not like that was a lot of a big part of his life after childhood. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's messy. Um, yeah. It's also interesting because I don't know what his what his actual plan is. Like I, I get the 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 poetry of, of of killing Picard, but like by revealing himself, he can never replace Picard. You know, like he could have replaced Picard and then used manipulated Starfleet into a, going to war with the Romulans, you know? Um, but 
Yeah. No. That's a, that's a way <laughs> yeah. better plan of like, I'm Picard's clone. Boy, boy, oh boy, I want to be in Starfleet. Can I be in Starfleet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, like, like, you know, five years later, he's like on a ship. Maybe he's even a captain because he's Picard's clone. He's every bit of, yeah. you know. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah. And then he quickly escapes. Picard. Yes. <laughs> um, they get back aboard the Enterprise. The Romulans are starting to very quick. So uh, uh, they learned that Shinzon is deteriorating. They mm-hmm. he was meant to. So they they saw the, the 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 hole that Scott just found in the plan of like, oh crap, this guy's got to look like Patrick Stewart like super soon. Right. Uh, otherwise, we just introduce introduce like a sixty five year plan. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's gonna take forever. It went from the growth to look anywhere similar to what Card looks like now. Yeah. 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 But because uh, because when did he? When was he created? Was he created? Like, like, like Tom Tom Hardy is he doesn't he's not supposed to he's not the same age that he looks right he's like a lot younger than that right I believe so yeah, like I don't but, think okay so I assume yeah. It's not like they cloned him. They weren't working on this when Picard was like on the Stargazer. I think it was like during his tenure on the Enterprise. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hmm. So is he like 10? I don't know. See, that's rich. They should go into that of like, I'm only 10 years old, but I have the, the yeah. you know, the virile. I'm part, you know, going through adolescence at the same time. I'm like in love yeah. with Deanna Troy. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I wouldn't say it was, uh, he was in like 12 battles and won every one of them. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. Doctor Crusher, who had bar- again barely given anything to do in this, barely. Yep. But uh, <laughs> she discovers that uh, Shinzon is deteriorating, and he's not long for this world. So that probably uh, peppers his worldview, and he just kind of has like he's just trying to d- to destroy the Earth at the end, right? That's like his ultimate goal. I guess. Yeah. 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 Um, less than the sum of his parts. We get a scene where the, the there's some, some dissent among the Romulans of like maybe this dude isn't who we thought we should be following. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we should mm-hmm. break away. And uh, we see later on back on the Enterprise Data deactivating before. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was heartbreaking. Yeah. That was that was a rough scene. Um. Like deactivating a mid sentence because he's just like I can't keep answering these questions. Uh, <laughs> oh God, was... Shut up. <laughs> yeah, that was that was rough. Yeah, uh, indefinitely. It, it's little moments like that, especially watching this hours after Insurrection, that I I really did appreciate John Logan's script of like oh this actually has like beats and has like each scene has like a nice little arc to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's not just like an examination of a philosophical problem. <laughs> sure. Which is what a lot of insurrection. It's weird. Like I could almost, I could do with more philosophy in this. It's like, it's like the balance is off again, like an insurrection, but in different ways. Yeah. But I think, I think the balance is off because of all the notes that the, that the studio and Rick Berman game gave John Logan. I feel like all of that would have been here in that original version of this movie. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, we get like a lock and load scene after this where yeah. it's like battle stations. We cannot let the scimitar get to the earth in time. And 
I it's no I was like, oh no wonder I loved this when I was like a, like in sixth grade. This is like Halo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of Halo in this, actually. Mm-hmm. Is this uh is, is this around when uh, uh Data helps Picard escape and they, they have to like fly through the hallways of the ship in the in the ship, in the escape ship? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. That was so ridiculous mm-hmm. in like a really fun way where he's like, well, I guess this is the only way out of here. Yeah. Um, very, again, very reminiscent of like the, the trio back in the, the OG movies, like, you know, escaping the enterprise or like, you know, the moon boots and that, that mm-hmm. kind of fun stuff. Yeah. yeah. It also feels like something that would have definitely been in one of the the abrams star treks one of the kelvin movies if you, mm. it has that kind of vibe that like slightly like comical kind of like oh i can't believe we're doing this kind of vibe to it you know mm. yeah uh there's a part in the space battle where like the bridge gets attacked the bridge like, yeah. Blows, yeah the whole gets people get yeah. sucked out and i was like yeah. oh that's a big abrams move yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that, that's a thing where you just know that like, hey, has anyone ever blown up like Simon Baird was probably like, has anyone ever blown up the, this stupid screen in the front before? <laughs> no, we're going to do that in this one. Like it just it feels like something that like, how has that never been done before? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and, yeah. Anything in there, because I mean, whenever you see any any episode, any of the movies, you know, the bridge is always. You know, you get the sparks and the smoke and, you know, everybody's right. moving around, but nothing ever actually like gets destroyed in there. You know, you know, maybe no. maybe the captain's chair gets, you know, or like uh, Wesley's chair might get, you know, fallen over or something. But you've never seen anything <laughs> yeah. get blown up. And even as, no. as much as the firepower is always getting shot down on the Enterprise in multiple, multiple times, you know, the bridge is always still kind of intact. Yeah, it's it's typically too valuable of a of a set, you know. Like that's right. how they keep the budget low is by shooting in the same place over and over and over and over again for three hundred episodes, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, you know, I rem- I remember at the time in '09 when Star Trek came out, there was as strong as people were like, "Oh, this is great." There was a very vocal part of the Trek fandom that was like, "This is not Star Trek. This is Michael Bay shit." But if you watch Nemesis, it kind of the it, needle was already kind of pointing in that direction. But yep. mm-hmm. maybe that's what happens when you get someone who isn't a Trekkie behind the camera. That's true. Yeah, that's true. And and not only is it like cool because we've never seen it before, yeah. but it also leads to like a really great joke where Picard is <laughs> like, we're being hailed on screen. Um, uh, open oh, yeah. a channel. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I love yeah. that. That's that's so great. good. That's probably one of my greatest, my favorite little little gags. In the movie. Yeah, that's really good. And yeah, and that right there, because like that's in the script. So it's like that is a joke by someone who has an affection for the series and doesn't need to like change it. And so to have like the director kind of have the opposite mentality of like, we have to blow this up and I have to find a way to be interested in this. It's an interesting dichotomy. Yeah. yeah. There's a, a back and forth. We get a great Star Trek fight between the Viceroy and Riker. Um, however, going back to the editing, I was like, that's gotta be one of the worst. This whole sequence is really poorly edited because we have Riker mm. fighting with the Viceroy and then the movie forgets about that for like 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when we cut back to it, I was like, whoa, wait. So all of this is just very weirdly structured. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah. And I and I think that that's that's a that's a side effect of of like again like trying to keep this thing so like tight as a drum. Um I think it 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 suffers from weird pacing issues as a result. The uh, Romulans that once aided Shinzon come to the aid of the Enterprise. There's this moment where they're like, "Oh, great, two warbirds. We're we're warped," and then it's like, "Oh no, we're we're gonna fight with you." There was once a great alliance between Romulans and humans, and today we honor that alliance. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's a really cool moment, but it's just like, really, this is all it took for this all for you to finally bring down that wall. Like this, this is it. This yeah. is this is the moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think as mm-hmm. from like longtime Trekkies, I think this was like this felt disingenuous just because it was. It, it, it's just like a clone of Jean Luc Picard, like an evil. Clo- that's what this. That's what stopped the war between the Romulans and the humans. Okay. All right. Great. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, the, the, the scimitar and the Enterprise are staring each other down. And Scott, you mentioned it at the very beginning of the episode. But yeah, Picard's strategy is just to ram the Enterprise <laughs> directly into the, skim- the, the scimitar. Mm, and I, yeah. when that happened, I was like, yeah, I wonder if that was like a note Gene Roddenberry had left or something he always wanted to say. Just, just ram the Enterprise into the enemy. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think so. Yeah. Somehow I doubt that. Yeah. Let's just see what it does. Yeah. It looks cool, right? That's Yeah. I I feel like that is a that is a uh, a military strategy that you only ever see in movies <laughs> of like, we'll ram the other ship. I don't mm-hmm. know that that ever really happens. I don't know. Uh, not in real life. I mean, no, right? Yeah, yeah, ships are, you know, millions and billions of dollars. You know, you don't, you don't want to <laughs> yeah. mess that up. Yeah. Well, not in <laughs> right. Star Trek. Money has, money has no meaning. Well, it's true. That's true. This is true. That's true. Very true. So we get a cool sequence where Data, Picard. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm just imagining like two, two like heads of Starfleet just like looking at the repair bill for the Enterprise. Just like, you know, this never would have happened under capitalism. Just saying. Just saying. Not saying we should go back. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But hey, it, it keeps all those uh, maintenance workers, you know, have jobs. You know, they always yeah, that's have to re- true. That they always true. have to repair the enterprise. They always have a job. That's true. Always. Because if they don't have a job, what what is there? What's even getting them out of bed? Right. The <laughs> data data. So Picard is like, I got to take care of this. I got to make one last heroic run. Data is like, the hell you are. Mm. There's such interesting moments where this movie echoes other treks. Because mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is you know very reminiscent of Wrath of Khan. Yes. Of, a fan favorite character making a sacrifice play. I love the wordless exchange between Jordy and data before he, he jettisons out into space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I will say this about this movie. It is stated at the wedding that data is going to be Picard's new number one. He is replacing Riker. Riker is going off to captain his own ship and data is going to take his place as first officer. And I wish that when we went back to the enterprise, right. Riker just takes right back in steps right back into his like, you know, I'm, I'm first officer until I leave the enterprise. But like, my feeling is like, I wish post wedding 
he was no longer the first enter- first officer. That Data was the first officer, so that you could have more of a through line of, you know, there's this joke early on where where da- where Picard is like, and surely he'll never let me go on away missions because the cat the the captain shouldn't go on away missions. And Data's like, well, yes, because that's protocol and blah blah blah. And he's like, shut up, Data. And like, you know, it's this funny little little aside. But if there was like more of an ongoing relationship of like data learning his place as a first officer and then making this ultimate sacrifice being like captains belong on their ship and then boom zapping him uh, back to the enterprise that's good. oh man that would have been good <laughs> and like you know going back to the movie being about adapting to change and being okay with change it would have been cool to see picard bristle at first of like Oh crap! Riker's not my number one anymore. It's it's data and, and Riker being like, I'm not number one anymore. I'm not. I'm not even an officer on this ship. I'm just hitching a ride to our honeymoon. You know, <laughs> and that keeps getting waylaid by the adventure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like data having to like, he keeps having to like. Get, oh right, this is your chair now. Getting mm-hmm. up and letting data sit in the in the first officer chair. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of interesting stuff you could have done with that. You know, I also noticed that, you know, when Picard, when he was beaming himself over to the, the other ship, he didn't do it from a transporter room, which is odd. When they're on a away mission, you know, they can pretty much, you know, be wherever and, you know, they get the coordinates and they can beam themselves to the transporter rooms. But this time he didn't go to a transporter room. He just was like right there on the bridge and, you know, had his gun, his, his weapon and you know, beam me up, you know, type thing. And yeah, yeah it was it was very strange for me. To see that that is weird. It didn't occur to me how weird that is, but yeah, that doesn't that doesn't really yeah because how other, it's supposed to work. Yeah, because <laughs> any other time they're like, uh, we're going to transporter room four, you know, meet me there, and then you know they're gone. But yeah, he was just like right, right there in the bridge. Done. Yeah, huh? So. <laughs> uh, oh, but the way then then Data's way to get to the other ship was really cool, like getting sucked into space because he can breathe in space. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's all. That, that's always nice for me because you know it's a space thing, and then you, you, they're always you know gravity is never a, an issue or anything like that. And then you know when they go out in space and like you know actually floating and stuff in a movie like that, it kind of brings it back to kind of reality. You know, it kind of makes it more real, I guess. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, on board the Scimitar, we get a final fateful battle between. Man and clone, Picard versus Shinzon. There's an incredible moment where Shinzon pulls out a knife and he's fighting Picard with a knife. It's a knife fight. Mm. And Picard manages to get the knife away from Shinzon, throw it into the engine beam or whatever, and obliterates the knife. And what does Shinzon do? Pulls out another knife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's unfortunate that like such a rich like cool, potentially compli- you know, potentially cool, complicated relationship, Picard and Shinzon. It results in just a very. I found myself thinking about the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies a lot. Mm. Watching these movies where it's like you have Goldeneye, you got First Contact, you got one like, well, this one's the shit, this one's great, <laughs> and then the rest of them you have like moments and characters that you like, but ultimately it's like just a, a guy about to shoot a missile into the the yeah. sky again. <laughs> I, I I feel like I should I should point out that you weren't the only ones uh, the only person thinking about Pierce Brosnan oh, James right. Bond movies because uh, so was Paramount <laughs> as they watched the box office sink. <laughs> uh, yeah, it sucks to get, get it sucks to get your ass kicked by uh, by die another day. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's that's a rough one. That's a rough go. How I want to get y'all's opinion on so Data comes to comes to Picard's aid, mm-hmm. uh, and then slaps a transporter on his on his well, on his shoulder. Please, okay. Let me let me before we, I I just want to point out was this was this movie uh, uh, co directed by Zack Snyder because literally like Cezanne <laughs> gets impaled and then pulls himself yeah impaled closer yeah. um to to Picard and I'm just like oh that's uh, Patrick Williams was just talking about how many times he's done that because it's in uh, Excalibur <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yeah that scene took me out of the movie hardcore because he just slides down yeah. that beam yeah 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 gets yeah. impaled and slides down the down the like, beam just like wiggling like you're moving through your innards and he like tries to he tries to choke Picard and then realizes he doesn't have the strength to do it because he's dying. <laughs> and he's like, OK, cool. I guess I'll just I'll tell you off one last time. Yeah. <laughs> Picard has like maybe 15 seconds to process Shinzon dying in front of him and data sacrificing himself. Yeah. And it is just on speed run mode. And Patrick Stewart is given no room to like act about about any of it no not at all not at all i feel like a better use of that of that time would have been for him to fight she's on like he dies and then picard is like okay this thing's gonna go off i have to blow it up somebody has to be here to blow it up calls back to the enterprises like hey I'm sorry, I can't come back. This has to go down. I got to be the one to do it because I'm here. You all have a great life without me, et cetera, et cetera. Goes to shoot it, and then Data shows up and is like, no. And then zaps him back to the Enterprise and does it himself. Then at least you have like a little bit more of like a beat where Picard is like, I'm, I'm about to die, and then Data saves him. Versus yeah. this, which is just like, there's, there's, there's 10 seconds on the clock. We got to do this, <laughs> you know? What? Gone. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. The goodbye is to himself, to Data. Data says right. goodbye. Like he doesn't even say it to Picard. No. Mm-hmm. No, I don't I don't love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And afterwards we get uh, you know, to to the to friends not present. And Riker kind of half shares like I remember one time that little idiot was whistling. Couldn't even whistle. <laughs> uh it's a good setup to the final scene, but it was like, man, like Spock got a Spock got a funeral. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and for the record, the song that Riker couldn't remember that he was trying to sing was Pop Goes the Weasel. <laughs> so it's 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 in the episode Encounter on PowerPoint. The, the scene oh, wow. Referencing. Cool. Yeah. 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 And it was it's Pop Goes the Weasel. That wow. he can't He can't get the tune of it right. <laughs> I was going to look that up. Right. Yeah, I like how that that's been a weird reoccurring theme in all these next gen movies is like super accurately calling out really obscure stuff from the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And back in his captain's quarters, Picard meets with B4 and mm-hmm. makes an attempt at finding hints that B4 shares data's depth, his uh hunger for and curiosity is it for self-improvement and he's like oh no i think he's just like a dumb android that's a bummer yeah he's just <laughs> a big old dumb dumb yeah but then oh. at the very end before to himself starts to sing the song 
that Data was singing at Riker's wedding, mm-hmm. Blue Skies mm-hmm. by Irving Berlin, hinting that uh, there might be more to be four than meets the eye. And we yeah, hold on a close it, it, it is full-blown literally the ending of Wrath of Khan. <laughs> like, it's literally <laughs> like the next movie would have been like the search for Data or something is how it's <laughs> like kind of set up. Because it's very much like McCoy having Spock's essence in his mind. It's the same thing where it's like B4 isn't Data, but he has Data's essence in his mind, you know, locked it literally yeah. in this case. Um, and it's uh, it's kind of interesting how how very similar those two mm-hmm. things are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan, Ryan, did this, this ending affect you at all emotionally? Did the, of the, of, you know, Picard's last scene with B4? Not really. You know, when I, when I first seen it, I was like, why would they kill off Data? He's great. You know, but then I was like, oh yeah, they have the other, the other android, so they can just make him Data. But how is that going to, if they bring him back, the series is, you know, or another, another movie, will they just call him B4 or will they be... Would they make call him Data too, or I I actually have an answer to this. Oh, good. Um, because uh, there was a, a prequel uh, comic, a canon prequel comic to um, Star Trek 09 that follows Ambassador Spock in the original timeline, leading up to the events that send send him back in time mm-hmm. um, uh, to change history, and in that comic he goes to the bridge of the enterprise like f or or maybe it is the enterprise e maybe it's just a refurbished enterprise e and uh to go see his old friend captain data so b4 has become data now because he is just memories and information at the end of the day because he is an android so eventually all of that stuff would evolve b4 into data with all the memories and thought processes of data um, and data would eventually uh, go from first officer of the enterprise to captain. So nice. that's what happens. Cool. <laughs> kind of a yeah. landfill from beer fest situation. <laughs> yeah. Although I don't know. I, I'm not sure if the, the series Picard cancels that out or what, what the situation there is. Um, Cause I haven't seen all of that yet, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but Scott, Thought on thought your thoughts on this final scene, our final scene with Picard in movie form. Um, I, I mean it's 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 solid. I just wish there was more to it. I wish there was more of a of a denouement to this than there is. Um, it's it it just I mean it has a stronger ending than the three previous movies, which all kind of just stop, um, and then go roll credits. Uh, but I I I still think that it could have used a little bit more, especially now in retrospect, they didn't know at the time, but in retrospect, this being the final movie with this crew, I wish there was a a more substantial goodbye to them. Yeah. Well, even at the time, the poster was like the, uh, the the final journey of the next generation. Yeah. So I think there was like some like finality, at least like that was the marketing though. Who knows? Like if on set, they were talking about like, wow, this is it. The final. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Well, in any event, um, that's all we got. And now we have Picard, which now I'm like amped to go and watch because <laughs> I want to I want to continue my adventures with this crew. Oh, 
Scott. Um, another thing I like, I was like, oh God, I, I, oh, I didn't, I actively didn't spoil it because I wanted this to be a surprise for you. What did you think of Admiral Janeway's cameo? Uh, it's only there because Seven of Nine wouldn't, wouldn't be in the movie. <laughs> wow. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's nice enough. It's just, it is weird seeing Janeway giving Picard orders because, you know, just, just from like the hierarchy of like, she's like two captains after him. Like, it just, it feels weird that she's like mm-hmm. an admiral, but you yeah. know, at the same time, she's been through a lot, uh, you know, being lost in the, what are the Delta Quadrant, I think is where they were. Um. So, you know, being freshly returned and giving a promotion, I guess that makes sense. And so ends the next generation era of the Star Trek franchise. Mm-hmm. We will be moving on to the Kelvin timeline after this. Yep. Lens flares, mass death. Should be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, this would be great. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us uh, today to talk Nemesis with us. Um, why don't you uh, tell people where they can, uh, they can find you? Well, I did a, a Movies by Minute podcast. I did one about Top Gun, the original. Look up Top Gun Minute on all your podcatchers. That's where you'll find me. All right, great. Um, and uh, everybody listening, we'll be back next week to, yeah, talk talk all things Kelvin Universe. So uh, talk to you then. Bye, everybody. Nothing but blue skies.